Hi, this is Anna, and this is Check It at the Round Table, where we discuss movies, books, music, and stuff. Today, we are discussing Passover peeps. It has officially started, depending on where you are in the world. But anyway, I thought for Passover, I would read aloud a book I wrote many, many years ago. A long time ago. But anyway, I published it a few years ago, back in 2019, but I wrote this book, uh, let's see, 15 years ago now? Anyway, it is a graphic novel about what can maybe sometimes happen on Passover. It's like Passover meets Jane Austen's Persuasion. But anyway, thought I would read it for the holidays. You can also get it on Amazon, on Kindle, or in hard copy, black and white illustrations, color illustrations, your choice. But anyway, you can listen to the audio version free here. And I'm sorry, the pictures are delightful, and I can't share them with you on the audio. I'm sorry about that. But anyway, here we go. This is Elijah Arnaud, copyright 2019 by Anna Carr. This book is a work of fiction. Any resemblance to individuals living or dead is coincidental. No part of this work can be reproduced or used in any form without permission from the author, except by reviewers who might quote brief passages in a review. We certainly do not forget you so soon as you forget us. It is perhaps our fate rather than our merit. I believe you capable of everything great and good in your married lives. I believe you equal to every important exertion and to every domestic forbearance, so long as, if I may be allowed the expression, so long as you have an object, I mean, while the woman you love lives and lives for you. All the privilege I claim for my own sex, it is not an enviable one, you need not covet it, is that of loving longest when existence or hope is gone. Jane Austen Persuasion. My name is Keicha, Keicha Sequoia Long Taylor, and this is a part of my family's journey and one of our favorite stories. A history is a hard thing to tell, and an individual story from the past is even more difficult to select. Where does one begin a story, and where does one end a tale? I shall start with Pete and Yael, and end with Elijah the prophet. It was spring. And my cousin Pete and his fiancée Yale were to be married. T, Annie Elizabeth Taylor McCartney, my older sister, was in charge of the occasion's music arrangements. Ema, my mother, and Grandma, my maternal grandmother, were in charge of the wedding sheet cakes. Ivy, Pete's mom, was in charge of the one-course wedding meal, pizza. T and I were, made, were the maids of honor for the occasion. Pete is our second cousin, twice removed, and he and his mother had moved into our home and lived with us since he was eight. Pete had grown up with T. Pete taught T many things, mostly what not to do, and he brought into her life many unexpected gifts, such as the garter snakes he'd catch and the man she married. T cherished a husband and discarded the snakes. At the time of Pete and Yale's wedding, T's husband, Sean, had been MIA, missing in action, for four years. Sean Ian McCartney was an Irish exchange student at college when Pete had met him and brought him home to jam. At that jam session, Sean had met T. After Sean and T's courtship of four years, Sean moved in across the street and he married Annie. Sean and T had had their oldest daughter, Va, the next year. 
When T became pregnant with seen and found, whose given names are Sean and Moses, the government drafted women under the age of 26 for active duty. The government ordered T to serve despite her pregnancy, which they said would be terminated if it interfered. However, because Sean was still an Irish citizen, he was able to go as T's proxy. He and Pete, who had joined up earlier, shipped out together. A few months later, on the same day, Pete and Sean both went MIA, missing in action. Pete finally came home, having been wounded and having been lost in an army hospital for several months. After Sean went missing, his parents immigrated from Ireland to America, and they moved in with T and her children. Sean's parents were of infinite assistance and kindness to all of us during that trying period. T had Yael, who had escaped the draft because of her poor eyesight, come to live with her, her children, and her in-laws when Yael's apartment at least expired. T then gave birth to Seen and Found, and she adopted Sam and Hope, who were also twins and had been abandoned on her doorstep in their infancy. Va and Hope were the flower girls at Pete and Yale's wedding. T's sons also participated. Sam thought he was to perform in a ring, as he was the ring bear. Seen and Found thought they were going to dress up as monstrosities, being young groomsmen. The boys were somewhat disappointed when their roles were fully explained. When Sean left for the war, he had given T a 17-stranded 17, a leather necklace. T had made Sean keep two strands of the necklace about his neck. T had then kept ten of the remaining strands about her neck, and she had made the other five strands into necklaces for her and Sean's five children as they came into her care. T and her children constantly wore these necklaces, which were to remind them of Sean, and that a part of him would always be with them, no matter what, because he had loved them, and because love comes from God, and because the love of God is something no one can destroy. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, our distress, our persecution, our famine, peril, our sword? Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans eight thirty five and 37 through 39. After the wedding, Pete moved into Yale's room at T's house until he finished repairs on their own home that was about three houses down. During this period, Seen accepted the love of his God and Savior quietly. T was reading the Bible on the sofa one night when she heard the pad of two small feet and felt the grip of a small hand on her shoulder. T turned to see Seen, and she asked if he had had a bad dream as he climbed into her lap with a nod and snuggled down, intent on staying for a while. T read seeing Romans eight thirty five and eight thirty seven through thirty nine, explaining that she and Sean had had their wedding verses there. She said seeing touched the strands of her necklace and asked her to tell him about Sean. T told seeing of Sean's kindness, his love for their family, and his admiration of organic Oreos. She told Seen that Sean was tall, that he had black hair, and he had bright, shining eyes like Seen, as she tussled Seen's hair with a la sad laugh and pointed to Sean's picture on the coffee table. Seen said he was wearing a part of his father's necklace, as if questioning and echoing back the answer as he fingered the strand about his neck. T 
She said he was indeed, and she added that Sean would be very happy to know Seam was wearing the part of his necklace. Seam then asked if Sean was really dead, and she replied that she didn't know. As Seam sat safely in his mother's lap, he asked a question. Seam's question was not one of the three questions our people have asked for centuries at the Pesach table, but it was a question of all humanity as asked through the ages. Sean asked his mother if a person had to be good to get into heaven. T said that being good had nothing to do with getting into heaven. A person got into heaven because God is good and merciful, and only after a person grasps this truth and this gift do they receive salvation. Then, if they want to, they want to do good to glorify their Father in heaven. Seeing quietly bowed his head, he said a prayer, asking God to make me elin and give me ire, as I'll never be lean on my own. I hate baths. Turning to his mother, Sing concluded with, Well, I'm shaved, and I can't unshave myself. In the evenings, T's children were usually in bed by 8 o'clock. Yale would get Va, Sing, Found, Sam, and Hope through the bathroom chores, while T did KP control, and then came up the stairs with her, with her children, where her children lined up outside the bathroom. T would then pick up Hope, carrying her on his, her, on her hip, and Sam, who would ride piggyback. Seeing would hold T's hand, while Fond and Va would walk beside her down the hall to their bedroom, and T would tuck them into their beds. Sean's mother would then enter her children's bedroom as T left. Mrs. McCartney would tell Va, Seen, Found, Sam, and Hope a story while she knit. When Sean's mother was finished, she'd bid them good night. Gael would then enter the bedroom, turn on a Hebrew, Yiddish, or Gaelic language CD to repeat, and give free hugs all around. Half an hour to an hour later, when the children had all fallen asleep, Sean's father would come in, turn off the CD, and retuck the children into bed. By morning, T would eventually end up with all her children piled into her bed as they would wake up in the night and she, usually finishing up or having just finished up an article, would let them pile in with her. Some nights, though, T would fall asleep downstairs and Yale would check on her. T always ended up curled up on the sofa with a cup of Earl Grey and a scone on the coffee table beside the photograph of Sean. Yale would sadly smile, throw an extra blanket over T, and go back upstairs letting the kids pile into bed with her and Pete. One morning, Yale found T typing furiously on an article due that evening. Yale called Pete, who was working on their home, and he came to pick her and the kids up to take them to the library. As Yale loaded the children up, Pete decided to ask T why she led the life she led. T worked as a part-time sound technician, a journalist with a daily column, and she was a freelance writer for periodicals. Firstly, though, T was a full-time mother, and she fit in her sound job during the children's afternoon's naps, and her columns and articles in at night or early in the morning. T quietly answered Pete, saying something about rowing with one's given oars. T had always thought she would end up single, and she was. However, T had never envisioned she would be a wife and a mother, and she was. Once Yale had asked T why she had gotten married, T told Yale that she had married Sean because he was honest and good, and that she thought they were in love, or something like it. And you were right on three counts, Yale had answered. Yes, I was right on three counts, T had replied with a grin. Shortly after T had finished her article and emailed it to the periodicals, the phone rang. T picked up the cell phone with her usual hello. 
However, the voice on the other end took her back four and a half years, as it says, said, I am home. T asked who was calling in unbelief. The other end of the line answered with a questioning Annie. Sean, where are you? T queried in wonder as she grasped the tin strands about her neck, and the line died. T once told me that it is one thing to have loved, and to know that person is dead, continuing to love that person, knowing you can never see them again on this side of the journey. However, it is another thing to have loved and go on loving, not knowing whether that person you love is alive or dead. And it is another thing to have loved, to kept on loving, and then to have hear the voice of your beloved yet again. T grabbed a jacket and her house keys before running over to Sean's parents to discuss the phone call with Abba and Ima. They all told the rest of us, with the exception of Va, Seen, Found, Sam, and Hope. We instigated a search party of tin the day before Passover. We called the police, the homeless shelters, the hospitals, or drove by the payphones, and we had General Con a General Connolly looking into things, all to no avail. Despite the excitement, plans proceeded for Passover, which would happen that next evening. We spent that night together. T and Yale and the kids slept over at our house. Pete camped out at T's house with Sean's parents in case anything strange occurred. And the police and General Connolly tried to make us believe it was a crank collar and that nothing had changed. I took the children to the park that evening. Well, at the park, Vaughn found busied themselves on the tree, while Sam and Hope walked up the slide and seen, being the least accident prone, picked flowers. During this period, I had to get found unstuck. He had gotten his leg caught and didn't notice seen toddled off to get some dandelions about thirty yards from me. When I turned to check on scene, I saw him deep in conversation with a bearded vagrant who wore a large black coat and carried an army-issued gunny sack. Scene, I yelled, come to Duda now. I then heard, headed, herded the kids into a collective group and headed home. What did that man say to you, scene, I asked as I held his small hand in mine. He said, hello, and I asked what I was doing. I said I was getting flowers for the Isak table, and he asked my name. I told him, scene said in answer. You should never tell people your name like that, especially that type of person, I replied. What sort am I supposed to tell? Seeing question with honest curiosity. Did you say anything else? I questioned back. I pointed out found Sam, Va, Hope, and you, Judakate. He was such a nice man. He had eyes that trinkled with ooted fires, Seeing continued with a quiet smile as he looked up at me. Muted fires, I asked. Yes, Duda, as if he was sad and happy at the same time, Seen replied. He asked where my mum was, and I said she was at Second Grand's, making dinner, and I told him that Elijah was coming to eat on Isak. He asked what mum is like. I told him she is called T, is very pretty, loved us, and told me about my father's. You know, Duda Kate, God and Da. I said sometimes she is a little sad and tries to make us aff, and that made her aff. There is ire muted, the ire muted in his eyes then, and he asked why she was sad, and I said it was because she missed Da. Then you said to come, and I came, Seen finished. After Seen's explanation, I thought no further on the subject or the man, being somewhat overwrought by the events of the day as we walked home in the gathering darkness. The next morning, as Pete was trying to balance his cup of coffee in the newspaper he had just grabbed off of T's front porch, he saw someone move on the porch ring. Who are you? Pete questioned the vagrant who wore a large black coat and carried an army-issued gunny sack. 
Pete, it's me, under the beard. Is Annie here? the vagrant asked. Pete couldn't mistake the eyes of trink the twinkling eyes under the even under the beard. Sean, you made it, Pete replied, slapping Sean on the back. Seeing how thin Sean was, Pete inquired about his health, and Sean replied that he was fine. And he asked again if Annie was there. Annie, yeah, well, we need to get you cleaned up. I'll call her. What happened to you? Where have you been, Sean McCartney? Pete asked. Sean explained that the enemy had captured him, and he had spent two and a half years in a prisoner of war camp. Half a year ago, he had been freed, and he had spent four months in an army hospital recuperating. He had been making his way home for the last two months. Where is Annie? Sean inquired. At Second Grand's, Pete replied. Pete explained to Sean that he had received news that Sean and he had gone MIA, missing in action, two months after the fact, and that Sean's parents had immigrated from Ireland and moved in with T to help her, and that six, year, six months later, Yale had moved in with T and had in, and T had had seen and found, and that the Hanukkah after Sean and Pete went missing, T had found Sam and Hope on her doorstep and had adopted them. Pete explained that T had kept the home fires burning with savings, family assistance, articles, a part-time sound studio job. T had received news that Sean and Pete went missing two and a half years after her marriage to Sean. T and Sean had decided against a state license marriage, and with the new laws that bumped common mar law marriage to ten years, the government did not have to send any pension to a military man's wife, as she was not considered his wife if they had lived together less than three years, or if they had not had a state-certified marriage license. With Sean and Pete given up for dead, given up for lost rather than dead, Life in, the life insurance company did not grant its premiums either. When Sean found out what had occurred, he was truly appalled. Pete then told Sean to take a shower, shave, and get a set of clean clothes while he called T. Sean agreed with all except the call. He then stated he wanted to be Elijah. Pete questioned this with, come again? In reply, Sean just smiled. Our family is somewhat conservative Anglican by faith. My mother and her parents immigrated from Britain to America in the late 1990s. My mother's parents were both descendants of European Jews, and they were saved from the Holocaust as children through the Kinder Project. My maternal grandparents were encouraged to remember their Jewish faith and heritage by their adoptive parents, which is one of the many reasons we celebrate Passover. That Passover, Yael and, Yael and Grandfather were in charge of the unleavened bread. Grandmom was cooking the lamb. Abba was making the fruit pulp and parsley harisset, vinegar water, and horseradish components of the meal. Tea was mixing up the grape juice. Ema and Ivy were setting the table and doing some general house cleaning. And Va, Seen, Found, Sam, and Hope were all quietly watching Charleston Heston until the Pesach meal. While my family worked inside the house, I was outside on the back porch. I had a duty to perform. All who are hungry, come and eat, I yelled. I didn't yell out to anyone in particular, and I was surprised to hear a reply from a young teenage boy who looked confused at the moment as I felt. Are you talking to me? he asked, taking out his earbuds. Are you hungry? I questioned. Yes, I am, he replied and took the first step onto our porch. Well then... I am, I replied. You are what? He queried. I am talking to you, I concluded. 
That evening, we read the Seder and went through the service as we always do. Ema sat beside Abba on one end, the grands to sat together at the other. I sat beside Va, T, Hope, Seen, and Elijah's spot, where Sean used to sit, along one side. Along the other side of the table sat the boy, named Michael, Pete, who had come in late, Ivy, Yael, Found, Sam, and Sean's parents. We do have a long table, extended it can seat for thirty people. That night, our table seated eighteen, counting Elijah, and one should always count the Elijahs in their lives, for one never knows when a miracle may show up. During the feast, Pete looked up at the kids and said, Why don't you all see if Elijah's here? Go through that door, Pete directed, pointing to the landing door that led to the front door, though we had all arranged for them to go to the back door. All of us thought this was strange, all but T, who was preoccupied with the fact we needed more grape juice and had gone to the kitchen, as Va, Seen, Found, Sam, and Hope all scrambled to the door. As T was recapping the juice jug, shrieking was heard, and we all stood dumbfounded at what we saw as we saw what appeared to be Sean standing on the stairwell, tangled up in his children, four fifths of whom had never seen him. Va had started at going to the door and seeing her father before her, and all the others standing behind her, uncertain of what to do. Va, a child who always knew what to do, questioned. Da. Sean bent down gently and put his hands on her small shoulders, and answering said, Yes, Va. Joyful laughter ensued as he picked her up and set her on his shoulders. Found and Sam clambered onto his back, and Hope took Sean's right hand, and Seen took Sean's left hand with, Oh, the nice man is our Da. T rushed in, forgetting the juice as she had heard shrieking and thought that one or all five of her children had taken a tumble and needed stitches. It took a little while to contemplate the figure in the corner of the room that was covered with their children, looking like an int with hobbits in his branches. It was you, was all T said. We were all surprised. We had hoped Sean might be alive by some miracle, but we did not know. I guess that it is one thing to hope and another to realize. Pete then took charge, helping get Va, Seen, Found, Sam, Hope off their father and into the laps and arms of their two sets of grandparents and their one set of great-grandparents, who sat at the table so that their mother could have at him. T then reached out a hand to touch Sharm's arm, as if frightened he was an apparition which would fade as suddenly as he had appeared. This was all Sean needed, and he grabbed it gently. Suddenly, T and Sean were hugging. T then started to quietly reap, and in between her tears I heard her whisper, Thank you, Father. Thank you. Thank you. Sean just stood there on the stairwell, holding tea and kissing the top of her head intermittently between quoting a passage in the Psalms. When the Lord brought back the captivity of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with singing. Then we said, then they said, the Lord has done great things for them. Tea then smiled at Sean and replied, the Lord has done great things for us, and we are glad. As Sean smiled back and said, I'm home now. Grandfather shut the door so that T and Sean could have the privacy of the stairwell afforded. Pete smiled and told me to pass the haraset if I would, and asked, I asked what would happen if I wouldn't, as I handed it to him with a smile. And Yale took another flatbread. Michael, even more confused now than he had been when he entered our abode, inquired about the fruit pulp stuff. And I said, haraset, and he said, haraset? Abba then poured more grape juice all around, and Sean's father called for a toast. 
Sean and T came out after about half an hour, Pete says I exaggerate, and sat down together while Sam stared at Sean. Sean smiled at Sam and took him onto his lap. Hey, little mate, how are you? he inquired. Sam asked if Sean was his dad, and Sean said with he was with a smile at T, and he asked Sam how he felt about that. Sam replied it was good, because Mum wouldn't miss him any more. Really? Be careful, Sean replied, looking at T with a grin. I might become puffed up if you keep this up, Master Sam. Can you cook a coney with spuds? Sean questioned. We don't eat rabbits, da, Sam seriously replied. T then took hope in her arms with a laugh, as the night deepened and a new dawn broke. A miracle happened that night. Death passed over our household. One life re-entered, and another arrived for the first time at our dwelling. Sean's homecoming was against all odds, and Michael's appearance an act of God. I have often wondered if Elijah ever did visit our house on Passover. That is the year he would have come. Sometimes I imagine, as I think back on that memory of time, that I hear the sound of a sandaled foot and the swish of an ancient mantle, almost imperceptible, but there nonetheless. Every year we sing Deenu saying it would have been enough if God had performed one miracle. However, God is not in the business of single miracles. He is in the business of multiple ones. When God works, it reminds me of firecrackers that shoot forth bright light. Then, when you think they are over, they explode in a multifaceted beauty. That's the way God is. God and his ways are above all we can ask, think, or imagine. That's him. Years after the Passover of Sean's return, I asked T if she and Sean had trouble acclimating when he came home. T told me that she didn't marry Sean because she loved him, though she did, but because they shared the same beliefs and goals. However, the same beliefs and goals were alone were not enough for T. She said that she married Sean because she knew she, he saw and heard her, and because he was a trustworthy confident, confidant. T told me that the war had changed Sean, but it had also changed her, and she believed that neither of them would ever be the same. When the world and my future path seemed uncertain several years later, T put her arms around me and whispered in my ear, Katya, life is never a smooth journey, and we must row the boat with the oars we are given, even if the water is choppy and the sky is dark, until we can see the way clear. We trust our God to lead us home, and if we follow him, we will always find that it wasn't even us at the oars in the first place. If we had spent time looking inside the boat instead of looking out at the water in the sky, we would have seen God was at our oars to start with. I have no doubt that if Sean had remained missing in action, T would not have forgot him, even without the living memory three children and a good marriage provided. Similarly, if the roles had been reversed, as they so easily could have been, I do not think Sean would have forgot T either when existence or hope disappeared out of the harbor of chance and it had full sail into the sea of impossibility. I believe that, yes, even Jane Austen... I believe that, yes, even Jane Austen can be wrong about some things and some people. She did not know Sean... T and Sean's commitment to each other and to their family was both their fate and their merit. Commitment is what made them capable of everything great and good in their married lives, and what made them equal to every important exertion and to every domestic forbearance. 
love of god was t and shan's greatest object and the thing they lived for which they knew could not be moved no matter what trial they faced in essence t and shan were persuaded beyond any doubt that love of god would have been and was enough and that is the end of elijah no happy peace peeps check it at the round table bye